Well, good morning. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but a couple times a year they do that toy wrapping thing. And it's a, just a fun time. But they, they need people volunteering all the time. Um, and it's a great opportunity for families to get together and go down there on a weekend, on a Saturday morning, and put together food boxes. So if you're interested in that, just call them, and, and uh, they can hook you up with that. And it's a, it's a, it's a blast. You'll have a good time. I want to read a passage of Scripture out of Romans chapter 10, starting verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in him whom they have not heard? Have them, excuse me, who have not believed. And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Six years ago, um, we had a family in our congregation that heard a message on a particular weekend service. Um, and the message was that there are people living in places in this world who have never had access to the gospel, have never had the word of God in their language, have never heard someone speak the name of Jesus and, Jesus and tell them who Jesus was. And they did this thing that they decided to sell their home, to sell their business, to sell their kids, to sell... I'm making sure you guys are with me, okay? All right? Basically, put aside, forsake the American lifestyle and Go through some training that we sent them to. Go through some training. Dedicate their lives to take the gospel to a place that has never heard before. Six years ago. It's been a long process. This is, this is about the Cratch family saying hello from Sinau. Sinau is the tribe that they are in Papua New Guinea. We are just days away from sharing the gospel in Sinau. On December 19th, we are scheduled to present the gospel in the Bai language for the first time in history. There are thousands of people groups in the world, and next week, one more will hear and be reached. Here's what's been happening. We have taught from the beginning of the Bible through to the arrival of the promised Savior. It is so exciting to see how the senile people relate to Jesus. Before, we didn't talk about him because they were so confused about whom he was. Now that we have laid a foundation, we are definitely making Christ the focus. John 3.16 was read. It was so powerful because we had the crowd of nearly 140 people read it together. It especially blessed us because for months now, we have told them they were lost and could do nothing to save themselves. And while we pointed to the God's road, we still in a sense felt the desperateness of our senile friends. Now we can talk about Jesus and, he will, and how he will save them. We look forward to seeing our senile friends break free from their bondage. Please pray for them. We know that God will build his church and see now. We also know the casualties in, a, in any battle are real and the consequences are eternal. Thank you so much for your prayers and support in this ministry. We are knocking down strongholds and seeing incredible things, and we know it is God responding to your prayers. We will write again soon and tell you about our new See Now believers. And if you happen to read Revelation 5.9, you can know that one more has been reached and will be there. Thank, thanks you, thank you again for everything, the Cratch family. We have an opportunity this morning to pray. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you, if you're able, we would like to just encourage you to get on your knees as we pray as a church that the gospel would go forth in a powerful way. So if you're able to, I just invite you, if we can um, get on our knees together as we pray. Just want to give you a couple moments to pray silently, and then I'll, I'll pray.
Father God, we come before you humbled, Lord, that we can have access to the, the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. That we have heard the message, that we have responded to the message, Lord, that we can have your word, your inspired word, your perfect word in our own language. That we are able to read and hear and hear it preached and to understand it, Lord. Lord, thank you for allowing us to grow up in a place that we have access and be able to respond. And Lord, we know that there are places in this world who do not have that. Lord, but you have set apart some to go. Lord, we pray for the Cratch family and their team over in the Sinau tribe, Lord, that have heard your call and have responded and received the training, Lord, and have been laying a foundation for your gospel to go forth. And Lord, with this word, we know that the gospel is going to be preached this week. We know that the truth of your word will be preached this week, Lord, the truth of the cross that impacts our souls. Lord, the truth of the cross that your blood was shed for man's sin. Lord, so we pray, Lord, that you would be with the messengers, Lord, who are bringing this, who are bringing the truth, that they would be able to speak with boldness and clarity. Lord, they they would understand, Lord, that the full weight of the gospel as they share that, Lord. Lord, they have not been taking this lightly and they are asking, they're pleading, Lord, for the church across the ocean, Lord, to pray, to intercede, that we would just overwhelm them with prayers. Father God, we also pray for the Sinau tribe who will be hearing this message. I pray that their ears would hear and their hearts would understand, their minds would understand the truth, the impact of the word of God and the truth impact of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, we anticipate hearing emails of countless numbers of the Sinau tribe embracing the truth of the gospel, embracing Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And Lord, we would desire to rejoice. We desire to praise you and give you all honor and glory. And Lord, I know that you cannot wait to hear someone worshiping the name of Jesus in that language. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege to come before you this morning. Thank you for the privilege that we can pray here, Lord, in Simi Valley for what's taking place in the tribe in Papua New Guinea. Thank you, Jesus, for what you will do and what you have done. For you deserve all the praise and all the glory now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks. Man, what he just... God will hear his name praised in that language. I mean, just to think like God has heard his name praised in all kinds of languages over and over and over. And then for some reason, at some point, hopefully within the next couple days, God is going to hear his name praised through this native, through this particular tongue. I mean, what a privilege to get to be there. And the other thing is, don't forget that we're a part of their ministry. And I think so often people feel like, well, I'm not there with them. Trust me, if you get a chance, I think it's basically our time tomorrow at around uh, 8 or 9 at night when they're going to start presenting the gospel to them. Tomorrow night at 8 or 9, the beauty of calling out to God is, is God doesn't care where we're at on this planet. It's We get to intercede on behalf. And, and, and there's a lot of things about prayer. There's some mystery that I don't completely understand how God does it and why he does it and how he answers prayer. All I know is, is that I am to pray without ceasing. All I know is is that for some reason Paul said, pray for me that the gospel might go forward in some different passages where he just was so consumed 
with the desire of the saints to pray. And so if you get some time, in fact, let me just say it this way. I would encourage you tomorrow night, make time to pray for them and pray that God would just do huge things through the presentation of the gospel of this tribe. And, and understand, they have never, ever, nobody in their language has ever heard the gospel before. So to them, this must be just an incredible thing. And so please do pray. <clears throat> but today, today, here's what I want to do. I have uh, always appreciated the consistency of God even before I even knew God. <clears throat> One of the things that I did was in uh, uh, in college, I studied to go be a, a mathematician and a chemist. That's what I thought I was going to spend my life in a lab looking at chemicals and doing formula. And uh, I thought, wow, how fun. <clears throat> I'm glad God changed my mind. But the beauty of math and chemistry that I loved about it, it was always consistent. If I did something with mathematically with a formula or if I did something with, with, uh, with chemistry, with, with different chemicals and the ways in which I did things, whether it's titrating something or, or anything that I did, it was always consistent. Because God created this world in a consistent fashion. He created it to function a certain way. Let me show you something. This is incredible. See this? Watch this. This is fascinating. <laughs> watch. It'll happen again. This is crazy. <laughs> watch this. Watch, watch, watch. Every time. Now the thing about living in our world is, is that doesn't blow us away anymore. Did you realize when this Bible fell, it started accelerating at negative 9.8 meters per second per second? (laughs) Isn't that incredible? Now wouldn't you have freaked out if I went like this and I let go and it went, phew. See, that would be new. But God consistently, all the time, every day, it operates in the way in which he designed it. Go with me to Jeremiah 10. Let me show you something. Jeremiah's writing <clears throat> to the people of God. And in chapter 10, he comes to this concept of God and idols. And he's comparing, God is comparing himself to just the wooden idol that does nothing in himself. And he gets to verse 12, Jeremiah 10, 12. But God made the earth by his power. And here's the word, these two words I want you to see. The first one is wisdom. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his, and here's the second word, understanding. These are the two words we're going to talk about today. Wisdom and understanding. When the thunders, or when he thunders, the waters and the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. See, God intricately wove this planet together and he designed it in such a way that the chief creation, that being people that are created in his own image, that's all of us, would understand how to live and how to function. And we learn what things work and what don't work as we go through life. I learned as I started to ride a bicycle, as soon as my dad took off my training wheels, I learned how gravity worked very fast. I also learned how blood clotting worked as well that day. I learned all these different things because God has designed this planet to function in an exactly precise way. And if you go to like Psalm 19 where David talks and he speaks about this amazing God that formed everything and who he is. It's just, it's a beautiful picture of an amazing creative God that designed his earth to operate a certain way. And a lot of times what happens though is, is we forget that if I violate those natural laws, there's a consequence to pay. In other words, if I took you outside right now and we jumped up on the ceiling and I said, hey, I got this idea. I bet you can fly if you jump. You would look at me like I was crazy. 
Because you know if you violate gravity from that kind of a height, it's called a broken neck. Not healthy. We learn how things work and we learn not to violate God's physical laws that he's established. But there's something else that's really important that I want to talk about today. And there are laws that God has established by his wisdom and by his understanding, same way, in the spiritual realm that I'm going to say to you are just as deadly, even more deadly to violate. These laws, no matter what happens, is that I am to not in any way to violate them because the consequences are huge. Go with me to Proverbs, just a few books back. Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon who's considered biblically the, the most wise man who ever lived. And in this case, he's writing this story. He's writing these Proverbs to his son. And he wants his son to understand that life is very, very dangerous. And I remember the day that my dad sat me down before I left for college. Because my dad knew I wasn't going away to some Christian school. I was going away to a state school. And the, the thing about a state school is they don't worship the same thing as they do at a Christian school. And some Christian schools as well. But it's just this thing in which it's an understanding. My dad knew where I was going was very, very dangerous. And I remember him almost giving me the same kind of talk saying, Todd... You've got to understand, this life has, there's a certain way which God has designed things. You violate it, and it's going to cost you. And this is Solomon writing, he says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, there's our two words again, wisdom and understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now stop. What he's saying here is, is he's saying, look, this is how God's designed it. And this is in your life what you are to seek after with everything that you are. If you're somebody out there that's a parent right now, the greatest gift that you could hand off to your children is to begin to teach them the wisdom of God. To start to show them that wisdom is more important than a paycheck. And wisdom is more important than going to school somewhere. And wisdom is more important than all these things that the earth says is important. Wisdom is the most important thing. And if you're somebody here today that's a high schooler or a college student, please, please start committing your life. In fact, this is a phenomenal book, Proverbs, to begin to know what it is that is wisdom and what's not. Because it's hard out there. And I know some of you in here that are maybe more of the balding, graying type you totally understand the, the, the dangers that are out there in this world. And by making one small choice, different and wrong, that violates this, you have consequences that are a long, long time. He goes on, he says this in verse 7, He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just And fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart. That's another important thing we're going to talk about later. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion, this ability to see through everything, will protect you. And an understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. From men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. See, it's this thing in which he's looking at his son, he's saying, son, it's not just that there's things out there to avoid, but there's also people to avoid. There are people out there that will take you in a way that's correct, exactly opposite of what God wants you to take you. 
See, remember when you were little, your mom said, be careful who you hang around with because you will start to be like those people. That's why mom said that. Mom was actually being just like the writer of Proverbs. She was saying, ah, see, I told you. It's this thing. Mom was smart. Go with me to Proverbs 8. In Proverbs 8, Solomon has been talking about wisdom and calling her a woman that's calling out, that's crying out to people to hear her and come to her and grasp her. And so now wisdom isn't just this thing in the book of Proverbs, but it's a a woman that the son is supposed to go after. And in verse 32, he says this, or wisdom says this, this woman that's crying out. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise and do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway for whoever finds me. Look at how this is so interesting. Finds life. And whoever receives me or whoever and and receives favor from the Lord. See, the greatest thing about connecting your child, your son or your daughter, if you're somebody here, all of us here, connecting ourselves to wisdom is the benefit that comes from it is life and the favor of God. Now look at verse 36, though, the opposite. But whoever fails to find me harms himself, and all who hate me love death. Isn't that a wild statement? The moment that I neglect wisdom, I'm actually saying I love death. It's a powerful statement. And so when we come to James 3, go there with me. James is going to use these words wisdom and understanding because he knows the precariousness of life. He knows that life is full of dangers and and full of all these things that are out there seeking to grab us. And he also knows this. See, the reason the writer Proverbs didn't want his son to hang around with these other people is, is that anybody that pursues unwisdom, which he calls foolishness, not only are they going to take themselves down, but they're going to take everybody with them. See, the danger of one of you in here, if you're somebody in here that's practicing a foolish lifestyle, is that it's not just going to affect you, but it's going to affect everyone that's close to you. Now, what I mean by that is, is I know that there are things that my dad did, he passed on to me good traits. But, and I love my dad, he also passed on to me his traits that are not the good traits. I know that I have friends that have passed on to me good traits, but they've also passed on to me bad traits. And so it is the goal of James here. He's going to be talking about relationships. Make sure you're not the one that passes on bad traits. And so today I'm talking to parents. I'm talking to mom and dad that have kids. I'm talking to grandma and grandpa who are now giving that sagely wisdom to their children. I'm talking to people that work with anybody. Anybody that has to do anything with people, which now that should include any of us. You could be a very dangerous person by how you choose to live your life. See, all of us in here, whether we want to admit it or not, we could become extremely dangerous. We take somebody with us down the wrong path, which is what Francis talked about last week, which is what I talked about the week before as a teacher. Oh, how scary it is to take people with us in a place that is only going to bring them harm and death, according to Proverbs. So that's who he's writing to. Now watch verse 13. He says, Who is wise... And understanding among you. There's our two words, wise and understanding. Who is? Now his thing isn't just, hey, who is out there? He's saying to these group of people, look, all of you should be wise. Now which one of you are? Everybody in this room, because you're here today, more than likely has a Bible. And because you have a Bible, every single one of us in this room should be wise and we should be understanding. Now what is wise and understanding? 
Wise is this concept in which I receive knowledge from God and I don't just know a bunch of things, but I take the things that I've learned and I start to live them out. It's, it's, it's knowledge and action. In other words, I could sit and I could read all these amazing things about a combustible engine. I could, a combustion engine. I could, I could read and I could read and I could read and I could read, but it's not until somebody sits there and goes, okay, and opens the hood and goes, fix it. And I go, hmm. Horn bearing, I think. I think we got a bad problem with our horn bearing. Possibly even some blinker fluid. I think blinker fluid. Have you changed your blinker fluid lately? <laughs> How about a radio belt? It could be a radio belt. I'm looking in there. See, it's this idea in which we really don't know what it's like until we start to do it. See, everybody in our culture knows a lot of things. We are the most educated culture ever on the planet. We know a ton, but you know what our problem is? We know a bunch, but we don't what? We don't live it. We know tons of information. And the First Corinthians says the only thing that information does without action is it puffs you up. It makes you more arrogant. And then we wonder why in our culture we've run into such an arrogant problem all around us that everyone we come into. And so wisdom says, no, not only do I need to receive information, but I need to live it out. And then he pulls in this word understanding, which is so amazing how he puts this together. He puts it together to understand not only do I know information and do information, but understanding is I become an expert over and because I do something over and over and over. In junior high and high school, I played basketball. I loved nothing more than taking a little orange ball and putting it in an orange hoop and having it go through a net and everybody cheer. And so I knew if I was going to become the best basketball player I could become, I needed to play basketball over and over and over. And so I would go to the gym. I was a gym rat and I would shoot 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 and I would just keep going over and over. And even if I meant I skipped school, I didn't care. I was going to be the best basketball player I could be. And I began to get better and better and better. I began to be able to have skill to be able to do things. So what James is talking about is not just information and an ability to do it one time, but this ability to do it over and over and over, showing that I am an expert at what I do. Now, why is this important? A lot of times people will say, oh, Todd, I'm struggling with this sin or that sin. I'm struggling. And I say, well, you know what? Biblically, what you need to do is you need to spend time in God's word. You need to get to know God and then you need to do it. And so they go in, they, they read some passages, they see what, see what God wants them to do. They do it one day and they come back and they go, this doesn't work. <sighs> see, understanding means, no, I do it and I do it and I over and over and over until I become the expert at this wisdom from God. And then he goes on and says this. And I love this part. I Just five days ago, I finally figured this out. He says, let him show it by his good life. In other words, now, don't just say you know something, but you need to live it out. And then he says, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. See, don't miss that little word. Do you know what the byproduct of wisdom and understanding is? It's The word in the NIV is humility. Actually, the word is meek. See, I always used to think that the person that was wise was that guy that sat up on the mountain and told you these deep spiritual things. He was the guy that set up a meditated life. He was the guy that would be up in heaven somehow with God, learning what is the most wise thing that never came into contact with people. But you would go up and he would suddenly say, Confucius says, and he would go. See, that's the mistake we make in the church. See, wisdom is not an ability to know something, but wisdom always works its way out in this concept of meek. So what is meek? Well, when I was in uh, junior high, I had a, uh, I had a cousin, tell him hi for me, I'm just kidding. Um, but I had a cousin 
who he was, he and I were the most mischievous people. And we went to a family reunion. And the thing about the family reunion was we were the two kids that everybody could wait for our families to leave, if you know what I'm saying. And so we get there and we had spent the whole day out at the lake, you know, and, and I had another cousin who just got this terrible sunburn on his back. And so it's finally nighttime and he's laying out underneath just the cool breeze and he's just enjoying life. And, and I, I'm the kind of person who at that point in my life, I couldn't stand it when somebody had contentment. And have you ever gotten a shower that's like really hot after you've had a sunburn? And so I thought, huh. And so my cousin and I went and we got a, a, a warm and hot bucket of water and he's laying there just oh, loving the cool breeze. And we snuck up on him and boof, put it on him. And he screamed. And he took off after us. That's not meek. <laughs> meek is this ability. If I were meek, I would have walked up and understood the pain that he was in. And instead of putting hot water on it, I would have grabbed some solar cane or I would have grabbed some something, some, some salve or some lotion to put on him because I understand that the pain that he's in. See, wisdom and understanding has this ability to work its way out amongst people, not where we try to take advantage of people for our own benefit, but where we actually try to come alongside people and understanding ourselves inside of God, we begin to live out this meekness amongst, amongst people. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 14. He throws in this word, but, meaning he's about ready to turn the corner. Now, he's going to talk about two kinds of wisdom. He's going to talk about an earthly wisdom and he's going to talk about a heavenly wisdom. Now, and then what he's going to do is he's going to talk about these wisdom and then he's going to talk about their character. In other words, what are some symptoms of each of these? And, it, you know, like if I get a cold and I start to cough and I'm, <clears throat> that means I have symptoms of a cold. If, or if I'm doing, if I'm getting fit, let's say I were out working out all the time and eating the right foods, pretty soon you would start to see the symptoms of this hunky, buff guy standing in front of you, which obviously I haven't been working out. And so it's just this idea that I start to see symptoms of what this looks like. Now watch what he says are some of the symptoms first of of earthly. He says, but if you harbor, and then he says, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven. Now the the two words that are used there, or the the two ideas there that he has is he says, look, bitter envy and selfish ambition. He says, whatever happens, don't let those things get into your heart because once they get into your heart, they're going to affect you. Now that word envy that's used there actually shouldn't mean envy. It should be this word zeal. In other words, what are you most passionate about? Don't allow, and then this word bitter actually means harsh. It means don't allow harsh zeal to get into your heart and to begin to infect you. Because once it gets into you, it starts to show symptoms of the wrong thing, which we're going to talk about here in a second. Now, what it starts to show is, in this word zeal, it means those things that we pursue that are not in, in contrast with God, or that are in contrast to God, that are opposite of God. Anything that I do that, it, that God doesn't want me to do, that is considered the wrong kind of zeal. Now, what is that? Well, and I'm just going to bring some names in. I got myself in trouble last service, so I'm going to say as many names as possible so I don't offend anybody. Every single day in our country, all kinds of zeal is placed across the TV waves and the radio waves. All kinds of zeal. You have Oprah. Uh, careful, this who got, somebody got mad at me about Oprah, okay? I'm just making a point. Oprah puts out every day zeal. Dr. Phil puts out zeal. Dr. Laura puts out zeal. Al Franken puts out zeal. Rush Limbaugh puts out zeal. There's all these people telling you what is wisdom and what's not wisdom. 
The problem is, though, is we actually start to believe it. And we actually start to buy into it. Now, am I saying that they're evil, awful people trying to get us to go kill kittens? No. All I'm saying is, though, unless their wisdom matches up with this wisdom from God, that wisdom will get you nowhere. Now, how do I put it? I was watching one time Oprah with my wife. I figured, okay, i got to watch this lady. i got to see who she is. Because I really never watched TV a whole lot. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch Oprah. And there was cheering and clapping and crying. And that was wonderful. And, and my wife, who's this person that lives in a TV show, she's crying and clapping all with them. you know. And I'm like, oh, well, it's okay, baby. It's all right. you know, Everything's fine. And Oprah was giving this sagely advice and having people on that gave this sagely advice. And then I was going to watch Dr. Phil because I thought, okay, that's what everybody watches. So then I watched Dr. Phil. And the funniest thing in the world happened, it just so happened that day they were having similar, similar kind of uh, shows and they absolutely contradicted each other. And I was like, aha. Now one of them could have been right, but if I'm watching both of them, guess what I get? Confused. See, the problem with earthly wisdom is, is that it causes confusion because it's not necessarily God's wisdom. See, God lays out for us and you can choose to, you know, right now you can say, oh, Todd, you're stupid. Oprah gives good advice or Dr. Phil or Dr. Laura or Al Franken or Rush Limbaugh. There, I think I pretty much hit the whole political spectrum there. Todd, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll tell you this. No, you have to decide why in the world you're taking information from them and not from God. See, all their information, it's going to get to, look at verse 16. If I buy into that information, this envy information, this concept of zeal, and actually we're going to talk about this in just a second, this selfish ambition, he said, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. Now, disorder just means chaos. Now, what do I mean by that? The contradictory information. See, the reason people in the United States are so confused is there's so many experts out there. There's an expert for this, an expert for that. And if you don't like that one, get another expert who contradicts it. And then if you need it to go to court, then I can find you two experts that will be able to tell you two opposite things. And people are sitting there going, uh. The reason there's chaos in our culture is because we're absorbing too much information from too many places when really all we need to go to is God and find out His information. Not only that, but selfish ambition just means I'm going to get mine and if I have to take you out, I will take you out to get what I want. Now, how does that work its way out? This Christmas, there's a perfect way to do an experiment. Buy a toy that all the kids will like. Throw it in the middle of the room with the batteries in it and turn it on and you will watch Selfish Ambition. (laughs) In the adult world, it's people that come into my office for counseling. And the wife and the husband each want to get their point across so bad that it's like, and it's just this degrading, selfish ambition. That degrades into absolute chaos because everybody wants their way. The next time somebody cuts you off, selfish ambition is you calling them a name even though they can't hear you because they dare to come into my lane. (laughs) Selfish ambition is walking up to that line in Target and seeing it right in front of you, the lady with 50,000 toys and you just need to buy a soda. Thinking, oh, if she knew what she was doing, she'd let me go in front of her. That's selfish ambition. It's this idea where I think I am owed something. I'm superior to you. I deserve something. And it's this thing in which now he's going to share with us, look, these people that pursue pursue zeal and my thing at all costs, that's worldly wisdom. Now, for for you to know, are you a person that is in pursuit of worldly wisdom? And do these things mark your life? It's a great check. 
I mean, this week as I've gone through life, I've been asking tons of questions of myself as I've been doing different things. Okay, am I more worldly? Or if what we're going to talk about next, am I heavenly? So go look at verse 17. Oh, actually, no. Go to, I'm sorry, I almost forgot something. 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, look at this, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Now, I'm not calling Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. Laura, uh, Al Franken, or Rush Limbaugh the devil here, okay? Somebody thought I was. I'm not. When he says earthly, what it means is that it's information that I can gain on this earth, that I learn it, in other words, chemistry, math, um, also the wisdom of man, and the only thing I get out of it is the reward of this earth. The second one he uses is unspiritual, which just means fleshy. It's wisdom of man, not wisdom of God. And the last one of the devil actually is demonic. It has nothing to do at all with God's stuff. It has to do everything with this idea of Satan and, and his control over this world and what he's telling us to do. Now, I bring that up for this reason. There is a real Satan. He exists. And he is out there seeking to run this world system. And he knows that if he can get us taking advice from somebody besides God, he has us in the exact right spot that he needs us. See, that's why all these people get out there. And they're not like evil, awful, rotten people. They're just people trying to sway you with information. Most importantly, sway you away from God. They're trying to connect you to their wisdom. And as they connect you to their wisdom, God is calling out to us saying, No, don't pursue it. As you pursue their wisdom, the only thing that comes with it is harm and death. Don't go there. And as passionately as I can tell you, please, people always say to me, Why do I read my Bible? You read your Bible because you need wisdom. I had a couple come into me just a little while ago, and they were just going crazy talking to each other. And I just took them to this passage. And we read through it, and they said, so? I go, no offense, but you're acting more like demons than like Christians. And I said, do you take this home with you to your kids? And they said, well, yeah, we're like this at home. And I go, good, great. Now you're making your kids like you. And we had a phenomenal talk from that point on. And it's got to understand, the stuff that we absorb in, we become like. Now, the good thing is, though, if I absorb in the right stuff, verse 17... But the wisdom that comes from heaven. Now, what is that wisdom? Go with me to Colossians 3. Go with me to Colossians 3. We need to kind of figure out what is the wisdom from heaven. Look at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, or because you have come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, what is he saying there? This idea to set your mind means to become engrossed in it, to become so focused on it that you spend time with it over and over again because you want your mind to be consumed with it. Now, if you look at that, why does he say heavenly things? Who's in heaven? God and Christ. See, what he's saying is, it's not that I'm supposed to think about heaven. Okay, streets of gold, uh, seas of, you know, the glass that look like an ocean. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to set your mind on what God wants you to do. I want you to understand what God wants you to do so that wisdom can begin to work its way out and that you can do it over and over again so you start to live out this meekness that we're about to talk about. That's what that is. Go with me to Colossians 1. Colossians, or actually Colossians 2. 
Verse 2. Paul's writing about how he was laboring to help this church in Laodicea understand things. And he says, look, my purpose is that these people in Laodicea may be encouraged in their heart. I want to ooze meekness upon them. And that they'll be encouraged in their heart and united in love so that they may have, look at this word, the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, why he says to think heavenly is, is that I want, he, what he's saying is, is I want you to be like Jesus. It's that thing, what I talked about earlier, is your mom said, look, who you hang around, you'll become like. You know what? Then hang around Jesus. Hang around him, get to know him, get to love him, get to know what makes him mad and, and what makes him, what pleases him, what it was that he did, how he acted. In other words, dive yourself into the gospels of Jesus Christ and start to get to know him and love him. And then pretty soon is the amazing thing that starts to happen. And I don't completely understand how God does this via his spirit in my life. But the more I spend time with Jesus Christ in his word, in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, the more I begin to be like Jesus Christ. Now, I know that may seem to some of you going, what do you mean I just have to try to spend time with Jesus? Yes. In other words, I know I've seen high school students, the more they hang around their friends, they start to dress like them, talk like them, act like them. In other words, replace their friend and start looking at your child and saying, kid, you need to know Jesus because I need to see different things out of your life. As a parent, start to introduce your kid to Jesus. But number one, never ask them to do what you're not doing yourself. In other words, don't try to tell them you go find Jesus. In other words, you all go find Jesus and bring your child with you. Now look what you can pre-promise. Go back to James 5. What's going to happen to my life the more I, get to sit, the more I, I begin to set my mind on heaven where Christ is? Look what he says here. Wisdom that comes from heaven, verse 17, is first of all, it's pure. Now that word pure just means, in other words, it's not encumbered by other things. It's, in other words, I, I, it's, I don't treat you in a way to try to get something from you. Pure means I'm after it because I love you. I am so in love with you, that's why I'm after it. In other words, if you saw your kid drowning out of love, you would dive yourself into the water to go grab that kid. Why? Because you love that kid. Your motive was pure because you wanted to save that kid from drowning. In other words, the more I get to know Jesus, the more my motives begin to be pure. Second one is this. Then I become peace-loving. Now, I love that one this time of year. Because this time of year is the opposite of peace-loving. In fact, I was at the mall the other day. That is what is the opposite of peace. I mean, it was chaos, kids everywhere, people fighting for product, and people getting mad, returning things. And I mean, one time I was getting, re- I was going up to just grab something, and over the top of me, this lady starts just yelling. I'm like, I'm not even a hugger, and I want to just go, come here, you need a hug. Do you know Jesus? Peace loving. In other words, I'm doing whatever I can to squell the, the, the animosity. I'm considerate, which means I'm able to listen. I'm able to hear you out. I'm not trying to speak before you talk. I actually care what you have to say. And if you have to say is true, I'm willing to change my life. I'm submissive, 
which just means almost the same thing, except not only am I willing to change my life, I will change my life. I'm full of mercy and good fruit. Mercy just means I won't give you what you deserve. In other words, when somebody cuts you off, you think they deserve what? A horn. (gasps) Good fruit is driving up next to them and going, thanks for cutting me off. Appreciate it. And I'm not even sarcastic. (laughs) Mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. And instead, I give them grace, good fruit, something that they don't deserve. I give it to them. The last one is impartial and sincere. That word sincere means to have a mask. That means with people I don't wear masks. I don't pretend to be somebody that I'm not. I'm I'm impartial with them. I treat this person the same as I treat this person. And then he says this in verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Now, that translation is kind of a weak translation out of the NIV. The, the ESV and the NIV or the NSB has a better translation. But let me just read you what James is trying to say. And listen close. And the harvest, in other words, this wisdom, what wisdom produces, which is the right behavior that God requires, is sown in the atmosphere of peace by those who by action make peace. Let me read it one more time. And the harvest, this wisdom, what comes from wisdom, which is, which is the right behavior that God requires, is sown in the atmosphere of peace by those who by action make peace. Now, what do I mean by that? In the 90s, I was going, and I don't remember what I was going to do. I think I was going to speak at something. And I took my wife with me. And we have this deal on planes. I love to fly on the outside. I love to be on the aisle. But if we sit down and the person next to us on the, on the, where the window is, if that person is a man, I sit next to him. If it's a woman, she sits next to him. And so I pull up and I'm coming down and I see a man sitting in the window next to the... Oh, I knew I had to sit in the middle the whole way from Denver to L.A. So I sit down next to him. I'm like, oh, stupid man person. Why couldn't you be a woman? And so, you know, you sit there, it's like, all right, we better talk. And so I, you know, I look over and I go, hi, you know, my name's Todd and I don't remember his name now. And we, we chit-chatted back and forth. And you know the question you always ask next, right? Either where are you from or what do you do? So, you know, I was like, where are so what do you do? And he, he looks back and he goes, oh, well, I am the editor for the largest gay and lesbian publication in Southern California. So, what are you doing in Denver? (laughs) He goes, I was up in Wyoming. He was up there for the funeral of Matthew Shepard, who was a young gay college student who at the University of Wyoming got beaten to death so badly and then they left him for dead on a fence just in 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 a pasture outside of Laramie, Wyoming. And he went up to the funeral and while he's at the funeral... There's a brother so-and-so, I can never remember his name, from Kansas, who came to picket the funeral, and they were carrying around signs that were saying, fags are in hell, and different things like that. And I'm sitting there going, oh man, don't ask me what I do for a living. (laughs) Because brother and Andrew and I have the same job. And so we talked back and forth about it, and I go, yeah, I go, it was a tragedy. And then he looks at me and he goes, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. 
without skipping a beat, he looks at me and he goes, what do you do with the Matthew Shepard thing? I proceeded to talk with him about Matthew Shepard. I said, you know what? The issue of Matthew Shepard is, is whether he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. That determines whether he's in heaven or hell. I go, it doesn't matter any of those other things. I said, I just know the Bible teaches those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that who that is who can know that they're going to be in heaven. I said, as far as Brother Andrew is going, I said, Brother Andrew doesn't speak for me and he doesn't speak for my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I said, but the biggest issue here isn't Brother Andrew or the person that's dead. And I looked at him and I said, the biggest issue is you. I go, and you, what you know about Jesus Christ. And we talked and there's certain times in your life where just you ooze meekness and gentleness and humility, which isn't all the time. But for one moment, God gave me the grace that in this man's life, we got to sit and talk about this amazing Savior, Jesus Christ, and how he came into this world to bring a peace and a peace that is beyond comprehension. I told him that, that right now, those that don't know Jesus Christ are at war with God. They're, they have no peace between God because Jesus Christ in Colossians 1, it says he came to die and by his blood, we now have peace with Jesus through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we talked through it and, and as we started to land, he, he, he acknowledged, he's like, oh, Todd, I'm not there. And then he just looked back at me and he goes, but you know what, you are the first Christian I've ever talked to that treated me like you did today. And then the worst thing happened, because I'm not a hugger. He goes, can I give you a hug? <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, my wife is I'll just laughing, you know. <laughs> and we left. And on his way out, he handed me his business card. And he said, you know what, if any young man ever struggled with homosexuality, I'd be happy to talk to him. And I looked at him and I smiled. I go, oh, I don't think I'll be sending them your way. And, and he smiled back at me. He was very congenial. See, the thing about this message that James is talking about is that Christians of anybody else on this planet are to be meek. We're to be the people in this lost and dying and falling apart world. I'm not saying we have to hide from the truth that these people that don't believe in the gospel are going to hell. I think we should take it out there. I think we should be honest about the gospel, sincere and impartial. That word that James is talking about means that I am not going to hold back from these people what they need most, which is the peace between them and God. But of anybody that should be the most humble, gentle, meek people in the world, it's us. Gesundheit. It's us, those of us sitting right now in this room we have the potential to go out to a world while the rest of everyone else is throwing hot water on sunburns. We get to walk up with the most incredible message in the world which says, you know what, you can have peace with God by only placing your faith alone in Jesus Christ. If you're somebody here this morning that's never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would love to tell you how you can have peace with Jesus. I want to tell you how it is that the cross of Jesus Christ made it so that you can now approach God and you can pray like we talked about earlier, approaching the throne room of grace. There will never be peace in the Middle East until Jesus returns. There will never be worldwide peace until Jesus returns. But I will give you peace between you and God, which is an even better thing than world peace. Second thing is this. Up here is communion. I would encourage all of you to come. If you're somebody that knows Jesus Christ, come take communion. It's a proclamation to the world of the, until Jesus returns of this amazing prince of peace. When I take it and, and I celebrate a, a body that was torn apart and, and, and blood that was shed on the cross, I'm saying to the world, I now have peace with God and you should too. 
If you're somebody that's never gone into the waters of baptism, let me tell you something. Please don't claim to be a Christian if you can't follow through on the first command. The first command is to be baptized. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. In that passage, I always ask little kids, which comes first, baptism or teaching? They always say baptism. Guess what adults say? Teaching. It's like, are you reading the same verse I'm reading? It's this understanding that I don't need to learn more to be obedient to Jesus Christ. If you're somebody that's never gotten in and gotten baptized, don't claim to be a believer until you've jumped in these waters and followed this first act of obedience to serve Jesus Christ. Last night it was so great it was raining. So I said, you're going to get wet anyways. But it's sunny today, so it doesn't work that way. The other thing is if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. I know right now there's some people for different reasons. I mean, even just with you guys. I know it's a different kind of peace, but a family member is not around. And that makes it a little different and unique. But as we go into Christmas, may Cornerstone be known as a group of people that bring peace to the world. Everyone that we come into contact with. In fact, today all I'm going to ask you to do is as we leave, don't say hi. That's the last week. In the Old Testament, they used to greet each other with this word shalom, peace. And in fact, Paul starts almost all of his letters off with grace and peace. Look at each other and just say, hey, what up, peace. I mean, just enjoy it. Because everybody in here knows what you're talking about. To go this week and live peace. I'm also going to bring the band up. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity today to practice peace. We're going to sing two more Christmas carols. And in it, the word peace doesn't just mean sitting there and being all calm and cool and collected. That's Buddhism. This is Christianity. (laughs) The peace of God is proclaiming to the world, we know Jesus. And we're singing about this Savior, this God that came in human flesh. And so we're going to get some time to practice before you go out this week and kind of live amongst everyone else that's not practicing peace. And so sing loud. Feel free to clap. Feel free to actually smile at people. Good.